This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include Mature Themes You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 361. Hello, Metamorphs! Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you, fresh off the writing desk. I'll also give you the latest on all my writing endeavors. More on that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 12 of Honor Reclaimed by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 350 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Honor and Delphinia have escaped from the house-drowling ski chalet, where there is an insidious enchantment at work. Honor spent most of the day in a mind-altered haze, as Lady Drowling tried to shape her and the other young noblewomen into docile, obedient slaves for their eventual husbands. Even the council members have not been spared. After a conversation or two with Lord Drowling, Honor's father was ready to marry her off to Lord Ansem, one of Drowling's cousins, and a man considerably older than Honor. This is significant because it would exactly replicate the mistake that Lord Bellevue made in marrying Honor's mother, Sylvia a woman half his age who, as it turned out, was only attracted to other women. The fact that Bellevue would even entertain such a thought, after all his efforts to help Honor escape that fate, is proof that the Baron's thoughts are being twisted. Honor discovered her own enchantment when Delphinia abducted her from the ski slopes and slipped her crucifix over Honor's head. The ecclesiast symbol is more than just a show of piety. It's a powerful talisman inlaid with spells of protection. Delphinia, it turns out, is an apprentice earth mage, and she has been spending hours uncovering the enchantments that are carved into every wall of the chalet. The magic is sophisticated and unfamiliar to her, but it's clearly more than just the protection spells the Drawlings have claimed. The crucifix only suppressed the effects of the Drawlings' mind magic, and Delphinia had to remove it from Honor before they could begin their escape. Once it was off, Honor did not immediately notice the spell reasserting itself, but it crept in around the edges of her thoughts, planting words and ideas that were not her own. Delphinia advised her that she needed to find her ego, the core, unshakable center of her self-identity. As long as she kept her focus on that, the Drowling's programming could send its thoughts into her mind, but it couldn't make her believe them. For a while, Honor struggled with this, as her thoughts kept twisting back to what the Drowlings wanted them to be. But then, quite by accident, she thought of Natasha, the first time she had thought of her lover since they arrived at the chalet, and suddenly things fell into place. 
Anna realized that she had screwed up by getting so angry at Natasha. Lord Bellevue had put her in an impossible situation when he instructed her not to tell Honor that he knew about and approved of their sexual relationship. Honor saw how her own paranoid fears of discovery had led her to overreact, to refuse to listen to Natasha's apologies or Alex's pleas for sympathy. Before the Drowlings had ever gotten their magic into her, Honor was already sabotaging the life that she actually wanted, because admitting that she wanted it forced her to confront the lie at the center of her life. The person she's been trained to be her entire life? The identity that defines her as a good daughter? A good noblewoman? That's not who she really is. And it never was. Laughing out loud, Honor turned her mind to the image of her truest self. On her knees before Natasha, the big woman's hand placed tenderly and possessively on her head. I am coming, mistress, she thought. Honor Reclaimed The House of Bellevue Book 3 By L.C. Williams Narrated by Vivian Ferrari Chapter 12 Billy Honor and Delphinia were perhaps a hundred yards from the main lodge when the house-drowling sleigh came into view, the draft horses pulling it slowly and steadily down the path towards them. Before it could build up too much momentum, Delphinia stepped into the middle of the trail and began waving her hands over her head. The driver, seeing this, reined in the big beasts, and the sleigh came to a stop. All right, my lady, the man called. I very nearly was not, Delphinia called back. We're coming with you. She gestured to Honor, and they both hurried forward as quickly as they could manage. As they drew close, Honor could see that the driver was perplexed, and perhaps a little suspicious. Miladies, he said, bowing his head to them both. Lord Drowling said there weren't no guests leaving afore tomorrow morning. And that is correct, Delphinia said smoothly. But my dear Lord Graham is coming for tonight's banquet, and I simply must go and meet him at Malin Station. You are going to retrieve him, are you not? The driver nodded once. I, my lady, him and a few others supposed to be coming with him. Well, there you have it. Delphinia hopped up on the runner board and opened the door of the carriage for Honor, who quickly climbed inside. And, as you can see, I have his cousin, the Lady Honor, with me, so there will be no worries about us being unescorted for the journey back. Hello, Honor said brightly, sticking her head back out of the carriage and beaming up at the man. Thank you so much for stopping. It's such a lovely day for a sleigh ride, don't you think? The driver looked back and forth between the two women with apparent consternation. My lord didn't say nothing about this, he grumbled. Delphinia affected a look of concern. I'm sorry. Shall we wait here while you go and ask him? Though I suppose that would mean Lord Graham is kept waiting in the cold at the station. No, I don't think he shall like that very much. The driver made an exasperated noise, then waved Delphinia inside. She beamed at him, nodded her thanks, and climbed in after honor. A moment later the sleigh ground into motion, and they were off. 
The illusion projector shimmered to life, revealing the landscape beyond the insulated walls of the carriage. Honor pulled off her mittens and spread her hands in front of the heating globe. This was good thinking, she said, keeping her voice low so that the driver would not hear them through the walls. I had forgotten they were sending the carriage again this afternoon. Lucky for us that Cousin Graham didn't arrive this morning as he planned. I suspect it means that whatever he was plotting back in Metamore has gone awry, Delphinia said, her tone dry. Not that this is terribly surprising, mind. Honor frowned. You don't think he was called away by the army, then? It may well have been someone from the army, Delphinia said darkly. But I don't think it was official business. I think it was a House Bellevue affair, and that he needed to act while your father was out of town for his actions to have a veneer of authority. Did you see the way he was walking when he left us yesterday? That was the look of a fox headed off to the henhouse. Honor felt a twist of queasy worry in her stomach. All the more reason for us to hurry back to the city, then. Indeed, Delphinia said. When we arrive at Malin Station, we'll tell the driver we need to use the washroom at the post office. I'll send off a telegram to Grandmother. You sneak out the back and over to the train station and order us a pair of tickets. We won't have long before they come looking for us, so be quick about it. That much seemed obvious to Warner, but she resisted the urge to say something caustic in reply. Instead, she took a deep breath, let it out slowly, and said, Thank you for your help today. You got me out of a cage I didn't know I was trapped in. I won't forget it. Delphinia seemed taken aback by this sudden show of vulnerability. After a moment, she acknowledged Honor's words with a sharp nod. You're welcome. The rest of the ride was quiet, each of the women leaving the other to her thoughts. Honor noticed that whenever she allowed her mind to wander, the same thoughts returned. We should not be doing this. We should have stayed back at the lodge where it was safe. Father will be worried. Lady Drowling will be angry. A good lady should honor her elders and behave respectably, and this is neither. Each time she became conscious of these thoughts, she turned her attention back to her center. She was going back to her mistress. She had hurt mistress, and she was going to make it right. She had to make it right. Nothing else mattered. They came around the last bend in the trail, a narrow pass between two hills, and then the clustered buildings of Malin Station lay before them. As expected, a train stood at the station, its boiler emitting a thin plume of smoke. Rather less expected was the large crowd of people on the platform, most of whom wore the dark blue uniforms and distinct high-domed helmets of the Metamore City Police Department, and completely unexpected was the large airship that floated above the little valley, its rigid silver hull gleaming in the waning afternoon sunlight. What in all the worlds? Honor murmured, staring up at the massive aircraft. Delphinia's eyes were turned skyward as well. Her brow was furrowed, her lips pursed in silent thought. The driver pulled up in front of the station and came to a stop. Delphinia and Honor did not wait for him to offer to help, but opened the carriage door and hopped down for themselves. Delphinia immediately strode off toward the post office, without a backward glance. Honor expected the driver to say something in protest, but when she looked back at him, she saw the man staring up at the airship 
a baffled look on his face. We just need to use the washroom, she said after a moment. They'd gone to the trouble of working out a plan, after all. It seemed wrong not to use it. The driver waved a hand vaguely in her direction, which Honor took to be his assent. She hurried after Delphinia. As she did so, she noticed two police constables approaching the drowling carriage, one of whom called to the driver. Oi, you there! He had to repeat himself twice before the driver tore his eyes away from the airship. Officers? the driver stammered. What? What's going on here? Never you mind that, the constable said. You're a drowling man, aren't you? Aye, sir, the driver said warily. Let's have a word then, the policeman said. They were close enough to lower their voices then, and the rest of the conversation was lost to honor as she slipped inside the post office, the doorbell jangling overhead. Delphinia was at the counter, engaged in a hushed conversation with the clerk. The man looked shaken, and a light sheen of sweat had broken out on his forehead. Honor heard a curt, Thank you. And then Delphinia came to meet her halfway. The constables arrived on the last train, she said, speaking low and fast. They secured the station and the roads, and won't let anyone in or out. They've commandeered the only telegraph line, as well, ran it up to the airship as soon as it got here. The whole village is locked down. Fear coursed over Honor's body like a bath of ice water. So, we can't get out, and we can't get a message out. So it seems, Delphinia said. Honor leaned in close, hissed in her ear. Is this all for us? Did the Drownlings order a manhunt when they found we'd gone missing? How did they even arrange all this? Delphinia reached up and gripped Honor's upper arm, holding her firmly. She met Honor's eyes. Steady on, she said, her tone low but firm. We don't know anything yet. This might all be a coincidence. Just then, the doorbell jangled again. Honor turned around to see the two constables who had just been speaking with the driver. They looked back at the two ladies with grim, steady expressions. Lady Delphinia, the first constable said, bowing his head briefly. Lady Honor, you must come with us immediately. Honor shot a panicked look over her shoulder at Delphinia. The scion's expression remained steady, but for a single arched eyebrow. All right, Delphinia conceded. Perhaps it is not a coincidence. Honor's heart thudded in her ears as they were escorted to the mooring tower where the airship was stationed. A boxy-looking metal capsule descended from the belly of the craft on a pair of braided steel cables. It came to rest on a patch of open ground in the old town square, a few yards away from where Honor, Delphinia, and the policeman were standing. Honor could see now that it was about the size of her father's carriage, big enough for four people to sit on the two benches facing each other. The interior of the capsule was sparse and utilitarian, and did not look terribly comfortable. The seats looked like they were held in place by only a few bolts and could be quickly removed at need. The windows were only a heavy mesh, open to the outside air. The constables unfastened a latch and opened a door in the side. It did not appear to have any control mechanisms on the interior. A cage, Honor thought, with another anxious turn in her guts. Where to go up there? she asked. I'm a lady, the second constable said. 
You're to be guests at the captain's table tonight. Honor thought back to her father's dinner party, the night after she had first met Natasha. Lord Barrett Rowling was a decorated airship captain from the First Great War. Had the Viscount called in a favor with his elder cousin? Captain Drowling was supposed to be retired, but he might still have friends in the Air Corps. Or was this a commercial vessel? Honor didn't know enough about airships to be sure. With growing trepidation, Honor and Delphinia climbed into the little capsule, taking seats across from each other. The constables did not follow them, but closed the door and sealed it shut from the outside. Delphinia found a set of restraints attached to her seat and almost immediately figured out how to connect them, strapping herself securely in. Honor tried to copy her, but her hands were shaking, and it took a few tries to get the clasps together. As soon as she had done so, the first constable flipped a switch on the outside of the cage, some piece of machinery hummed overhead, and they rose quickly into the air. Honor stared out the screened windows as the town shrank around them, the surrounding mountains coming into view. In the waning light, the peaks below them were painted in a brilliant palette of oranges, pinks, and blues. Under other circumstances, Honor said after a moment, this would be quite enjoyable. I always wanted to ride on an airship. Delphinia smiled then, not her nasty mocking smile, but something quieter, touched with gentle irony and perhaps a bit of sadness. I have a couple of acquaintances who have them. Perhaps I can arrange a flight for you. Honor was touched. That? That would be very kind of you. Delphinia accepted this with a slight nod. How was your head? Honor consulted her thoughts. She could still hear the suggestions planted by Lady Drowling's magic, but they had faded to whispers, easily ignored. The image of herself and mistress was still strong and clear in her mind. I think I'm all right, actually, she said. Delphinia's smile showed a quick flash of teeth. Good. I want to see the look on Lady Drowling's face when she realizes that her spell has failed. The airship loomed close above them now. Honor looked out the window again and saw a large hole in the underside of the vessel, leading to what appeared to be a cargo bay. The enormous cells of the gas bags were visible beyond, filling most of the interior of the rigid hull. Her stomach fluttered again. I have a feeling that you shall get your wish soon enough, she said. A minute or two later, their cage was secured to the deck of the cargo bay. Hundreds of wooden crates were stacked in rows along the belly of the ship, squeezed into the intervening spaces between the ribs of the hull. A commercial airship, then. Honor was amazed that the ship could still fly with so much freight aboard. She wondered if they used magic to lighten it, or to enhance the lifting power of the gas cells. A crewman opened the door for them, and Honor and Delphinia stepped out cautiously onto the deck. It felt solid enough, despite there being hundreds of feet in the air. Honor looked nervously back in the direction of the open hatch. There was a protective railing between them and the empty sky, but she still felt a little giddy seeing the ground so far away. The crewman bowed deeply to the two ladies, but he kept his eyes on Honor as he did so. He was short, lean, and of indeterminate age, and his smooth, attractive face had no trace of a beard. Honor thought he might be an androgyne, 
but his baggy slate-gray coveralls gave no clues one way or another. His hair was tucked up under a close-fitting cap, so that was no help either. His high cheekbones and deep blue eyes were eerily reminiscent of her own, though his nose was longer and hooked slightly at the tip. She wondered if he were a distant cousin of hers. He gave them a roguish, lopsided grin. Lady Anna, Lady Delphinia, he said, his voice high but a bit gravelly. Welcome aboard the Mariposa. We've been expecting you. Honor and Delphinia exchanged a glance. Mariposa? That doesn't sound like a drowning name, Honor thought. The crewman gestured to a narrow path leading between two stacks of shipping crates. If you'll come this way, I'll take you down the passenger section. We don't normally bring up guests in the cargo lift, but ain't nowhere in Malin to set down. He looked back over his shoulder at Honor. Hope it weren't too frightening for you. Honor noticed that the crewman was speaking primarily to her rather than to Delphinia. That was a breach of etiquette, since Delphinia was higher in rank, but he had the soft, homey accent of the lower-class country people. Not too different from Mabel's accent, actually, so he was probably oblivious to the finer points of the metamorph peerage. Rather than correct him publicly, she drew herself up, squared her shoulders, and sank back into her Lady Honor persona. She inclined her head to him. Thank you, Mr... The crewman ducked his head. Cool. You can just call me Billy, my lady. Ain't Mr. Nuffin. Honor smiled. Thank you, Billy. Do lead on, then. They followed Billy through a narrow maze of walkways between crates and cargo pallets. Delphinia hung back a few paces, curiously quiet. Honor wondered if she was offended that Billy had assumed Honor was her superior. As they walked, Honor scanned the boxes around them. She noticed shipping labels bound for Inador, Rukilia, Sondashara, and even more distant places. You seem to be on your way out of town, Honor said. I do hope we haven't delayed your departure too much. Billy waved a hand dismissively. Don't you worry about it, my lady. The captain's happy to help two metamore ladies what's gotten themselves in trouble. Help. Honor thought sardonically. Yes, of course Lord Drowling would tell them they are helping. We are just two poor, confused little girls who've got in over our heads. It's nice being back in the city, to tell the truth, Billy went on, as they descended a narrow flight of stairs that was barely more than a ladder. Don't get up here often as I'd like. Oh, do you still have family here? Honor asked. I miss... Billy said, his tone wistful. Got a daughter I love very much, I do. Ain't got to see her in a long time, though. How awful, Honor said. Why ever not? They descended to the floor below, a narrow hallway with faded blue carpets and wood paneling on the walls. It was much quieter here, and the change in ambiance seemed to bring a change in Billy as well. He went still and averted his eyes, seeming suddenly uncomfortable. It's life, isn't it, miss? He said quietly. Sometimes you make choices, right? And it opens one door and closes another. Can't have everything you want. He reached up and patted one of the walls of the airship with obvious affection. I wanted this life more than anything. A life in the clouds. 
but it ain't no place for a little girl. Girls gotta have room to run and explore and ride horses and play with dogs and all. Have a proper childhood, right? Honor smiled fondly. That was the sort of childhood she'd had, and Billy was right. It had been a good one. Except for one thing. I understand, she said gently. But, you know, there's no substitute for a missing parent. Billy winced. Right, he said softly. He was silent for a long moment. I don't know if I made the best choices always. I just made the only choices I could. He looked up at her, those big blue eyes pleading for understanding. Ain't you ever wanted something people told you you was wrong for wanting? Honor thought back to the voices in her head, from Lady Drowling's magic, and from a lifetime of expectations before that. I... Yes, I suppose I have. Hesitantly, she offered a hand to Billy, palm upward. He took it, gripped it tightly. His fingers were long and thin, and while they had calluses... The skin was smooth and all but hairless. Honor covered their joined hands with her other hand. I cannot judge you, Billy. I am sure you did what you thought was best, for you went for your daughter. I suppose that all you can do is make the most of whatever time you do have with her, and hope she will be understanding. Tears welled up in Billy's eyes. He nodded, sniffed, and wiped them away, before looking at Honor again. She's a good girl, he said, his voice thick with emotion. Smart and brave and kind. Awful proud of her I am. Honor smiled gently at him and squeezed his hand again. Then tell her that. It will mean more to her than you realize, I promise. Billy nodded his head vigorously, then wiped out his eyes again. Right. I'll do that. He drew his hand away, then took another moment to gather his composure. He cleared his throat. <clears throat> well, Captain's waiting. Come on, then. The passage they had entered appeared to run at least half the length of the airship. They went past a series of small compartments with folding doors, each with a pair of names attached to it on a little placard. Honor assumed that these were the crew quarters. After that, they passed a galley, where a confusion of voices and wafting smells told her that dinner was being prepared. They went through a heavy steel door with a small portal near the top, then entered a broad lounge with windows on either side. Here, the carpets looked somewhat newer, and there were couches and armchairs and small tables for drinking and conversation. One corner near the galley held a small bar. Halfway down the starboard side, there was a low stage with a pianoforte. Honor guessed that the room could fit fifty or sixty guests rather comfortably, though none seemed to be present right now. They crossed the length of the lounge and exited through the door on the far side, entering another corridor. This one had electric lights and elegant fixtures, and paintings hung periodically on the walls. The doors were spaced further apart, and most of them had numbers rather than names, though there were a few that seemed to be conference rooms. Billy stopped at one of these, with a sign that read, Doña Isabella. Honor could hear the sounds of relaxed conversation coming from behind the door, though the voices were indistinct. Billy knocked on the door. A woman's voice answered in Tornish. 
Then, the crewman bowed his head to honor and Delphinia. Go on then, ladies. Captain's expecting you. Hesitantly, Honor reached out and turned the handle. Before she pushed the door open, she smiled one last time at Billy. Whatever waited for them on the other side of the store, the crewman had at least been kind to them. I hope things work out between you and your daughter, Billy. Billy's lips twitched, some expression too quick for Honor to follow it. He lowered his eyes and nodded vigorously. It's very kind, miss. Thank you. Taking a deep breath, Honor pushed the door open. And that's the end of Chapter 12. Come back next time when Honor meets the captain of the Mariposa. Chapters of the House of Bellevue will be released at a rate of one chapter per week for 51 weeks. If you'd like to listen to it faster, all three books are available now on Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, please visit www.authorlcwilliams.com. Patrick Rothfuss said, If you want to write a fantasy story with Norse gods, sentient robots, and telepathic dinosaurs, you can do just that. Want to throw in a vampire and a lesbian unicorn while you're at it? Go ahead, nothing's off limits. But the endless possibility of the genre is a trap. It's easy to get distracted by the glittering props available to you and forget what you're supposed to be doing, telling a good story. So let's see how I've progressed with my storytelling this week. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of December 10th through December 16th. I wrote 5,057 words this week, over the course of 6.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 778 words per hour. I wrote on 6 out of 7 days this week. After last week's dry spell, I made a concerted effort to get some actual writing done this week, come hell or high water. Since I've been working from home all week, and writing in the morning wasn't happening for me, I went back to my old standby, writing immediately before bed. This was a good week for it, because our dog Cedar is still recovering from last week's hospital stay, and his injured leg can't go up and down the stairs. My wife Mel has been sleeping with Cedar up in our guest room, which is on the ground floor, while I take Marco and Willow down to the master bedroom in our finished basement. The benefit of this, besides the fact that nobody has to carry Cedar up and down the stairs, is that I can do my writing in bed without disturbing anyone. I have gotten a little bit less sleep than usual this week, but it's been worth it. I've added almost 3,000 words to All the World of Fire. Kevin's husband Stephen has come home from his business trip, and right now everyone's all smiles and warm feelings, but Stephen has to adjust to the new foster daughter who's suddenly in his life, and Ember has to deal with this new parent figure whom she's heard a lot about, but hasn't met until now. I think it's safe to say that there's going to be some conflict before too long, and that makes for a good story. I'm now in Chapter 12, and the manuscript is over 33,000 words. Over on the Patreon feed, we have a new patron this week. Please welcome Heather. 
This week we also welcome a new Metamore City artist. Adam Waldron needed a break to work on his own projects, so Laurel Stela is stepping in to continue the illustrations for Troubled Minds. Her first piece shows Abby summoning the shade of Trisha in the communal showers at St. Teresa's. I think she did a great job bringing out the vulnerability and supernatural feel of this scene. You'll be seeing a lot more pieces from Laurel in the months to come, and you can find more of her work at facebook.com slash l-a-u-r-e-l-l-e dot s-t-e-l-l-e. Cool bonus art is just one of the perks to being a Patreon subscriber. If you support me at the $3 level or higher, you'll get to read the first drafts of my stories as I'm writing them. Right now, I'm releasing chapters of All the World of Fire at a rate of one chapter per week. Come see the story take shape and share your thoughts about each new chapter as it drops. It's a great way to leave feedback, and the responses from my patrons encourage me to keep going. To get started, go to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. Take a look at the donation tiers and choose the one that's right for you. And if you're already a patron, thank you so much for your support. You're the ones who make this show possible. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.